Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series of patient interviews. Tell me what you understand about your health right now. I'm not quite sure what you're asking. <laughs> I, I know where I, like, with my liver disease, it is, the damage has been done and it's getting worse. And eventually they will have to pursue probably a transplant. But at this point we are just tagging the numbers and waiting to see. <laughs> Anything else about your health overall? Um, I mean, there's been, like I said, I go like, it used to be once, maybe every three months to get iron because of the anemia, but now I'm going every other month and that's a two part there. And then usually after that, I've got to go into the hospital and then they give me two units of blood because no one knows where it's going, <laughs> but I keep losing blood every so often. And do you have a sense of the underlying reason why all these things are happening to you? I think I do. I mean, like I said, the first part of it is my being HIV positive and kind of moving towards AIDS. Um, my immune system is so weakened. It doesn't take much to just knock me out. <laughs> and that's what happened, like I said, it was almost two years now because um, just one kidney decided to flush too much potassium. Next thing I know, I'm waking up and I can't move my legs, can't move my arms. <laughs> Very scary. <laughs> but it was scary for your doctors, too. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I don't feel like they um, look at it that way. <laughs> it's more like surf and turf. <laughs> what do you mean by surf and turf? I usually go to one doctor and they don't want to deal with it so they send me to a specialist. <laughs> and so I have like, I think I have eight or nine doctors now. <laughs> and they all have a piece, but none of them want to talk to each other to understand how one's making the other part of me sick. So what's the effect on you? The effect on me is I lose weight, I don't eat. And most of that's because of the pain. I mean, once I go to eat something, I mean, I just, it kicks in. feels like someone's stabbing you constantly. And it's like, it's very tiresome. It's like, I'd rather not eat than go through that, but. Sure. So tell me more about the pain before I had a chance to see you. Oh, God. That was <laughs> before you, it was a lot of years of going to the pain doctors and they say that's where we should be going, but I've been to eight different pain doctors and not one of them ever talked about controlling the pain. I always had a set amount of medicine that they would give me each month and it seems like every facility, every doctor I went to see, they wanted to cut it in half. <laughs> they wanted to knock me down and I was like, but I'm still in pain. I'm not able to do these things. and. Um, just didn't pay attention, didn't want to listen. They, they look at me, because I'm so young, <laughs> as being the 
pill popping, doctor surfing, trying to get, and it's like, I never did that. <laughs> I just needed medicine to get through the day, and there's a lot more of us out there, and I actually even had one pain doctor look at me and goes, you know, your type of people are the problem. And then he said to someone I knew in the clinic who was older, oh, she's a good client because she's older. She sold her pills all the time. She didn't take them. So <laughs> looking at a person trying to decide whether they are on the bad side of it or the good side of it, it's like you can't judge them if you're not willing to sit down and talk to them. And that pain doctor didn't want to do anything. <laughs> So it sounds like it was pretty hard for you to be treated like that. It was. I mean, it literally month to month, <laughs> it was it was horrible because you didn't know if you were going to eat your medicine. You didn't know if you were be able to eat. And it's like, these are just daily basics I wanted. And I told somebody, to just get the pain under control so I can live. I mean, who the hell wants to live like that? <laughs> I told you I should take my antidepressant sooner. <laughs> well, do we have a, a box of two? Oh, I do. I'm fine. <laughs> Let's have it handy. <laughs> Say more about what the pain was feeling like. What, when you started the day and going through the day, what was the pain like? As soon as you get up in the morning, everything stiff, it hurts. I've got a mild stabbing in my stomach. And then, like I said, as you start progressing through your day, if I want to eat, I have to balance out my pills so I make sure i got enough to cover the meal. But even that doesn't help. Sometimes you'll take it first, then you eat, and you still end up in turmoil. Mm -hmm. And other times, you know, it did help. But trying to get a doctor to listen that, you know, I, w I needed something different. But I didn't necessarily want you to hand me the pharmacy. <laughs> I just needed someone to say, we understand your pain. We can help you. <laughs> and they don't do that. <laughs> I had a doctor. She, she just couldn't wait. She was um, Asian. And when I walked in her office, she's like, we're going to take you off all your pain pills and I'll make you a tea. <laughs> you better have pain pills in it. Because <laughs> it was, oh God, it was scary. So every month I made myself sicker, wondering, is this the month they're going to flip me to another doctor? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he did. Um, he had three, if you had three problems, he'd drop you. The first one he said, I was on Valium. I said, no, I'm on Clozapam, which is in the same family. That's why I showed up. And he argued with me over that. Then I had surgery, and he said, have your surgeon call, and we'll allow him to up your pain medicine for, you know, recovery time. Well, that doctor didn't call, and my pain doctor never called, so those two never talked, and I got my third ding, and out the clinic I was. And then you go back to your doctor and you're like, please, please, please help. <laughs> and then they do another referral to a pain clinic and it's just, they're horrible. 
<laughs> and like I said, you can sit there and in 10 minutes I can tell you who all selling the pills. They're all on the phone. <laughs> I gotta go to the pharmacy. I'll be there in 10 minutes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so you can tell that you've been sort of labeled as somebody like that. They actually put something in um, my charts over at Doctors West. I had my doctor take it out. I was so mad. I'm like, I am not drug seeking here. I mean, and the only time I went to the emergency room, every time I ended up staying four or five days, it's like, so, but like I said, it's my age. They look at me as being younger when I had all my teeth too. <laughs> and um, for me, I should be able to get through the pain and have a wonderful day. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> and with the liver, they don't want me taking Tylenol. I can't take the leave because um, it usually spikes my um, my bilirubin. All that stuff in my liver goes up, and I get sick. <laughs> sure. And then we're back in the hospital again, dealing with another doctor who wants to tell me I'm on too many pills. <laughs> so, let's see if I've got this right. That you have um, advanced HIV disease and liver disease with a pain pattern that there's always pain in your abdomen, but it gets much worse when you eat. Oh, God, yes. I mean, it literally feels like someone just takes your insides and just doing this. Right. Uh, it's horrible. Gas pains, people who had them before, trust me. <laughs> when you have these stomach problems, it's ten times worse. And I, like I said, I, my partner has seen me many a time just laying on the floor in a ball crying because there was no relief and I couldn't touch my pills because God knows if I went there and I was short I'd be reprimanded again and it's just it was a constant circus act mm -hmm. now um, so I saw you for um, a pain uh, consult and we went through this history and we decided on um, increasing the amount of the opioids you were taking for your pain control. What has that done for you now? That's been wonderful. Like I told you before, I went swimming for the first time in 20 years with my niece because I wasn't in pain. I could get up and do things with her because it's so sad that she's so young. She just loves me to death. I love her. And we can't do activities beforehand when my pain wasn't controlled, that she has grown up now, and she'll sit there and go, it's okay if you're sick. You can go home. We'll do something later. How old is she? She's 14, but she has a developmental disability, but she's a love bug. Mm -hmm. And the second time when I was in the hospital where everything was paralyzed, she sat there for a whole week. She'd play on her tablet. She'd talk to me. If I needed anything, she'd run and go get it. I mean, she's such a blessing, and like I said, it's so sad I couldn't do these things for myself. I had to rely upon my niece to do them. And like I said, it takes a toll because you can see her now. And like I said, she'll pat me and she goes, you don't look well, Uncle Carlos. <laughs> and it's, these are her problems. And when I found out that she was having meltdowns at school because I was in the hospital, 
Oh, that's horrible. It's like ripping your heart out. <laughs> so it sounds like your niece is like a child to you, like oh, your God. child. I always told her she was my little girl that I never had. <laughs> so uh-huh. she goes, can I call you dad? I, you can call me anything you want for your art. <laughs> and so it sounds like that's one of the reasons that you, a reason for living, a reason to want to be it is. functional is for your niece. It is, and like I said, my mom's raising her. She's got guardianship, and she is getting close to her 70s. And she's aware any day now she could die, and then I have to jump in, and I'll become Mr. Mom, and handling the finances and schools and all that. And like I said, beforehand, I was lucky to vacuum the floor in a day, sit down in my chair, and rest, which usually took about an hour. Then I get up and maybe I do the mirrors. I mean, just the clean. <laughs> My God, it take a week. By the time I got done, it's time to start again. <laughs> so, on the increased amount of the opioids, your life is better. You are able to function more. It has been, like I said, wonderful. I can go to a restaurant most of them now and eat without like regurgitating and oh god some of the sounds that come out on me are horrible you know it was embarrassing <laughs> i was remembering when the the pain was bad you would throw up yeah and i had the surgery to stop that and it, i'd blown it completely it's useless now mm-hmm. because of the medicines mm-hmm. <laughs> so what was the difference you were seeing n- numerous pain docs before you saw palliative medicine and it wasn't working. Compare and contrast how you were retreated by palliative medicine versus the other pain docs. Like I said, every time you go to a pain clinic or you see a pain doctor, their goal is to get you off the opioids, which I would. I, I, that sounds wonderful, but I've got a chart in there. I've been on the gamapentine. i tried all kinds of antidepressants, anti-seizure medicines, anything to try to take care of this. We've already done it. (laughs) Opioids got to be the last step. There was nothing else out there. But like I said, when you go to the clinic or see a pain doctor, their goal is to get you off of them. And that just irritated me. Or if they thought they were just seeing you for a consult, that I always loved. Oh, I think we need to up this medicine and this medicine and get you on that. Then when you go back the next month for your actual prescriptions and to see him again, he'd be like, oh, no, we're not doing that. I want to cut you off of those. (laughs) And many times I had to (laughs) tell my partner, go outside because he was ready to rip someone's head off. (laughs) Now, I'm remembering we got you on a... A higher dose of the opioids seemed to be working, and then we passed it off to your primary care doc. So she would be the routine prescriber. Mm-hmm. How has that gone? It's been wonderful um, because what we do now is I go in every three months and she sees me physically, and we talk about things and take care of any issues at that time. And then the other two months, I type our little message to the Ohio Health System and tell her what, you know, what I need, and she just tells me, you know, what date to come pick it up, though I'm not getting pills early, I'm not getting them late, 
it's just it's been so convenient. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the shoe to drop. I really am. Oh. And I know that's not horrible, but it's like, this is too good to be true. <laughs> and I'm thinking that was six months ago when she took over. Yeah, it was last summer. Yeah. So it was, I was thinking it was October. Was it earlier than October? It was still warm. Yeah, it was warm, but... So it's at least six months. And what I'm hearing is the dose hasn't changed. Nope. I haven't asked for anything. I don't need anything. Mm -hmm. And that's the nice thing about it. Mm -hmm. I think it's important that once, once you found the level that controlled your pain, that dose hasn't changed. It's not like it's continued to go up. It's stayed... Well, and that's like the patch I wear, yeah. the fentanyl. Um, <clears throat> before that, they would give me the Oxycontin, which is a 12-hour acting. Well, the problem is, is with all my stomach issues, I don't digest food, and I don't digest some pills, because I was taking and finding them in the toilet, mm -hmm. and you break them open, and all the medicine was right inside, and I'm like, no wonder I'm in so much pain. Mm -hmm. And as you're giving me, I'd be lucky if one day they'd hit, one day they didn't. Mm -hmm. So you're taking the fentanyl patch and then you're using the oxycodones for breakthrough pain. Is that right? Or, or before... I use them for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and right. then if we're going to do something. So you pre-medicate before your meals? Sometimes, yes. Because you know the, ma the meals are going to hurt, so you use them before because they're short acting to yeah. get you through the meal but then they don't hang around and you're able to go swimming and we get to do all kinds of things now and as I was telling them it's her spring break so she's coming over I get her tomorrow Wednesday and she's staying through Saturday and we just have all kinds of things planned we're going to go to play video games we're going to go to the theater we're going to cook you know it's just wonderful that for the first time I'm not worrying about where's this land in the month that oh I can't take Evie now because I'm down to my bare minimum pain medicine or I can only do one week out of the month because I know I can control the pain but then it has to come from somewhere <laughs> and that usually shorted me towards the end of the month so then the end of the month I was sick and didn't want to do anything and but, like I said, the new regiment's been wonderful. I do just, it's nice to actually have some time out of pain. Uh -huh. That sounds like a core thing that's really important to you as a patient is being treated with respect. I do, because when I first diagnosed HIV positive, um, the Gay Men's Health Center in New York had put out a book <clears throat> And they just happened to have one left here in Columbus. And what it does is it talked about, you're now your doctor's partner. You need to know everything you're on. You need to discuss everything you're on. And it's the same way with, like, if you drank, if you did street drugs, if you, you know, I, you got to let them know everything so that then there's no surprises. But we had that issue just recently where I was getting an endoscopy. And I kept telling her, you didn't put my patch on the, um, my medicine list. And she goes, oh, it doesn't matter. And the anesthesiologist happened to be next to us. And he goes, yes, it does. Because I'm going to give you pain meds while he's under. And if he's already got some, 
I don't want to overdose him. <laughs> so that's become reality now. I have Narcan <laughs> and I, I'm lucky to get like eight of them. So I keep them one in the car, <laughs> one at this house, one at my mother's house so that if something happened and I've trained my niece how to take care of it. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'm um, remembering you have an impressive medicine cabinet in your kitchen. <laughs> I am a junior pharmacist. <laughs> I think one of the things that people don't recognize when you're as sick as somebody like you, seeing as many specialists, all the medicines that have been tried or that you're on, because I remember you're on an impressively long medicine yeah. list. Um, does one of our cameras travel? Carlos, would you would you show them your mm -hmm. medicine chest, and will somebody just go film his medicine chest? <laughs> and guess who <he> was also? Now <laughs> you forget it's there. There's no need for me to go. I want you to just show her. Show her your chest. This is the mini CDS. <laughs> wow. The front row is what I take every day. The next two rows back are the medicines. Um, sometimes they're the ones I don't take as often or they're the refills. So the refills go all the way back because I have to cycle them to get the old medicine taken first so that the new doesn't expire. <laughs> but yeah <laughs> everything from my HIV meds to nausea medicine I had three different nausea medicines but the new one is at my Tessie uh, it's something we're gonna give a try I'm looking forward to that <laughs> so but yeah I can go to the CVS and talk to them and they just giggle because I know I can look and tell them what drugs are on their themselves because <laughs> they're at my house <laughs> All right, thank you for that. Okay. <laughs> I think most doctors have no idea what it's like to be at home managing the medicines. And I think it's, I saw your jaw drop, Lisa. <laughs> I do not get up with that. What do you, if, if you were talking to, uh, to doctors, wanting to help them take care of people like you, what would you say? I guess, and it's always been an issue, you've got to sit down and take a little bit of time to talk to your client or your patient because if you don't talk to them, you're not going to know anything. And that's where I was getting with the book. The HIV book told me what I needed to be doing, so I'm a partner with my doctor. Not that I go and let my doctor just prescribe anything they want because oh well let's try this no we did this it sent me to the emergency room it's not a good drug for me <laughs> or like I said my liver was acting up and at one point they had pumped too many medicines into me and I guess I was delusional running around the hospital naked <laughs> so you know you got to take that time and talk to them and most people, if you, or at least I feel this way now, 
because in my 20s and probably to 32, we used to go out to the bars and we'd have fun and I drank and we would do a little bit of recreational drugs. But that's my past. I currently don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. <laughs> you know, there is no other things that I can be into. And like I said, most of them won't take the time to listen and get your full history and understand. And I don't know. I really want to like grab all my doctors and put them in one room one day a year just to talk and see what everyone else is doing because they don't. I get copies of everything and I take them to each doctor and pass them out. Carlos, thank you for being this frank about yourself and your uh, and your situation. And I'm so glad things are going well now. Knock on wood. I'm sorry you feel like the and shoe's going to drop. Thank you for being a good doctor. Well, you really have helped. Well, and that's a lovely thing for a doctor to know that he's helped. So I'm really grateful. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll rate and review this podcast and share it with your colleagues and your friends. So you don't miss any of our new content, make sure you are subscribing to PCIC Podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PalMed, where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC curriculum.